We'll be finishing up the book of Daniel this evening, Daniel chapter 12. Do you believe that God desires to use your life? Do you believe it? In Ephesians chapter 2, a couple of famous verses that we know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then what does Ephesians 2, 10 say? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God's love is so amazing to save us by His grace, but also to use us by His grace. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God wrote good works for us to do before we were even saved. Isn't that incredible? So from this day forward, we have the opportunity to walk in those good works, to be used, used by God. I'm a basketball fan now, but one day I was a basketball player. That, you know, that, that's long gone, the basketball playing. But as, as you watch a basketball game, it is March Madness. The college tournament is, is, is upon us. No one celebrates the basketball. No one celebrates, wow, Wilson, what a great basketball, you know. They celebrate the player. They go, that's a great player. And we're not celebrated. God's celebrated. We're just a tool in his hands. And we're not an impressive tool. In fact, it brings glory to God that he can use a bunch of dirt clods like us. That's the way the Lord works. Why would he even want to use us? He doesn't need to use us. So when he uses fallen people who love him, who are surrendered to him, it is for his glory. The reason that I bring that to our attention is we're going to be confronted with the truth of shining God's love tonight in Daniel chapter 12, of truly living for his glory, of walking in the good works that God's prepared for us beforehand. So let's pray together. Father, we come before your word with reverence tonight, knowing that your word is set apart. You're holy, and you're loving, and you're good. We ask that we could gain your perspective of eternity and your heart for souls. You tell us if we're wise, if we we shine like the stars of the heaven. And that's our desire. But so many times we feel that we fall short. So we just ask that tonight your spirit would fall upon us in a fresh and special way. Maybe some wondering if you can use them, that you would encourage them, and that we would all walk away laying hold of eternity closer in our hearts. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've really enjoyed the study of the book of Daniel. And before we go into this last chapter, I want to kind of review what we've seen and what we've learned in the book of Daniel. The first portion of the book of Daniel was the life and times of Daniel and his friends. The events that took place in his life. Do you remember chapter 1? What an incredible chapter. Daniel is brought there to Babylon, taken captive from Jerusalem. What does he choose to do as a young man to not compromise? To not eat of the king's delicacies, which was an unkosher diet. Forced into the classroom of the Babylonians. Doesn't fall prey to the false teaching. Stands his ground. Much like today. You go to the classrooms of the world today, they're teaching things that don't line up with Scripture, and that's where the battle is won and lost for our minds. Do we hold strong to God's Word, 
or do we hold strong to what's being thrown at us? If it's not a literal classroom, then it's the classroom in the media. It's the classroom in the movies. It's the classroom that's all around us all of the time. And Daniel, he wasn't conformed to this world, but he was transformed, and he took a stand. And that marked him as a young man to say, I am going to follow God. Also in Daniel's life, we've seen throughout that he's a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. Even in chapter 1, he had prepared his heart beforehand, before he ever got to this place of temptation. He's seeking the Lord. Three times a day was his habit. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A little more than rub-a-dub-dub, God thanks for the grub. (laughs) Getting on his knees before God, turning towards Jerusalem, lifting up his heart in prayer. His life is a great example of what it means to live for God. Conviction, no compromise, prayer. He was also a man of the word. He knew the promise in Jeremiah that they would only be in captivity for 70 years. As they get close to the end of that period, once again we find him praying, seeking God's heart. A man of prayer, a man of the word, a man of integrity. Hopefully, we've been challenged in these areas in our lives Have we grown in prayer through our study in Daniel? Do we find ourselves drawing near to the heart of God? Have we made it our habit to pray? Have we grown in our love for the Word of God, our appetite for the Word of God, being a student of the Word of God? Have we determined to say, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand up in the classroom of the world for the things of God. These are some of the things that we've seen in the book of Daniel. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Also men who didn't compromise, wouldn't bow down to this image of Nebuchadnezzar, thrown into the fiery furnace, God God meets them there. Some just wonderful truths. And the second half of the book of Daniel is prophetic. The, The prophetic element of the book of Daniel, as we've looked at that second half, we've seen the theme that God's kingdom is the kingdom that lasts forever. What a time for us to be studying the book of Daniel. Do you realize in the three or four months that we've been studying the book of Daniel that the nations of the world have changed? (laughs) There's been a revolution in Egypt, you know? A new government's forming in Egypt. Libya is in turmoil. Who knows what's going to take place there? Things have changed in Jordan. The whole landscape of the way things have been for many, many years in the world have changed just in the last three months. What we've seen through the second half of the book of Daniel is who's in charge of all that? God. God's moving around the countries of the world and he's done that throughout history for his plan and his purpose. Now, do you get a little concerned about what you see going on in the world? I do. (laughs) It makes me nervous, right? And I'm comforted by looking at God's power and his sovereignty that he has a plan. He's orchestrating things to the ultimate end that he has in mind. He's seated upon his throne. He rules and he reigns. He lasts forever. Whether you understand all of the detail of all of the prophecies or not, please don't miss that point. That God's the ones in control. Some of the prophecies are fulfilled. Some are not yet fulfilled. But God's kingdom is the kingdom that lasts forever. That was the message that the children of Israel were to get as they were in captivity. God's in control, God's in charge, His kingdom is going to last forever. As we get to this last chapter, it's the conclusion of the vision. Chapter 10 was the introduction to the vision, chapter 11 was the vision, and then in chapter 12 we have the conclusion to the vision. 
the end of our study last week, we saw the Antichrist, the nations being gathered together in the glorious land in Israel, leading up to the battle of Armageddon, the battle of Megiddo, flowing right into verse 1 of chapter 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Such as never was since there was a nation. Michael is going to stand up, this archangel, this, this general, this high-ranking angel. Revelations chapter 12 gives us a cross-reference of when Michael the archangel stands up. This is a yet future event. What's the best commentary on the Bible? Has anybody found it? The Bible. That's the best commentary on the Bible. So one section of scripture will unlock the understanding for another. So I'm going to read this to you. This is Revelations chapter 12, verse 7, down through verse 12. You may want to write it down. Revelation 12, 7 through 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. So a war taking place in heaven. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday when we were in Luke 13, that Satan still has access to the throne room of God, to be the accuser of the brethren. And here he's finally cast out. The devil, Satan, the accuser of a brethren. Then there was a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who's accused them before our God, day and night has been cast down. So Satan's busy going, You really love those dirty, rotten sinners at Rocky Mountain Calvary? Did you see what they did? And Jesus, our advocate, our high priest, is saying, yep, I know what they did. I paid the price for it. Our intercessor each and every time. Notice the victory, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So Michael stands up. Satan's cast out of heaven. He knows he has a short time on earth. Just a little bit of time left, and he causes great trouble. Going back to Daniel, we see that reference to, in verse 1, he stands up, and then there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. That has to be a lot of trouble. I mean, Israel's had some pretty difficult times, haven't they? We look back at their history to when Daniel's living. They're taken captive out of Jerusalem, out of Samaria. We talked about last week in some detail Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabees standing up against him. A horrific time in the nation of Israel. AD 70, Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple's destroyed by the Romans. In more recent history, the Holocaust to this evening, Israel has more enemies than any other nation. Everybody wants to do them in. Most people want to do away with the nation of Israel. They constantly live in trouble. That's, that's their history. You know, that's their, their heritage. And here God is saying that they're going to have a time. 
it's even worse since they've been a nation. This time is described for us in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Remember, this vision, it was told to us that it pertains to the nation of Israel. Jesus refers to this time of trouble in Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And this time is known as the tribulation. It's documented for us in the book of of Revelation. So we go on in verse 1. It says, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. So God promises to deliver them out of this troubled time, the nation of Israel, everyone who is found written in the book. So not all of Israel is turning to Christ. Some will reject Christ, but also some will turn to Christ and their name is written in the book. So those who are delivered or saved is the ones who have their names written in the book. I'm going to read several verses to you tonight because it's just one of those texts where cross-referencing really brings in the detail for us. But in Romans 11, it talks to us about the future spiritual restoration of Israel. This is Romans 11, verse 25 through 27. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should become wise in your own opinion, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all of Israel will be saved. That's written, the deliverer will come out in Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So there's yet a future time where Israel spiritually turns to the Lord. Yet there may be some that have a heart of unbelief. The majority of the nation of Israel will turn to Jesus Christ in a way that we've not yet seen. So God's going to deliver them. Those who are found in the book will be saved. And this is the key verse in my mind in this text is verse 12 and 13 where we're going to spend most of our time this evening. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. We know from Scripture There's two resurrections from John 5 and Revelation 20. One unto life and one unto eternal separation from God. So it says those who sleep in the dust shall awake to the great white throne judgment of God. Where God separates the believer from the unbeliever. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We're familiar with both of these terms, most of us. But let's take some time this evening to meditate upon first everlasting life. Everlasting life. How does one have everlasting life? John 3 lays it out for us. Jesus' words. We refer to it often. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. goes on to say there in John 3 that whoever has not believed is condemned already. So it's through our faith in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection on the cross, that we have everlasting life. For those of us that know Christ as our Savior, doesn't everlasting life just get better and better every day? (laughs) My wife and I were talking uh, this morning just how, how heaven just keeps sounding better and better and better all of the time, right? It's like it gains its value, 
the more that we walk with the Lord, the more turmoil that we see happening in the world, the more difficulties that we go through, our hearts long and yearn for everlasting life. And wouldn't it be nice just to wake up and not deal with sinful flesh? Not to deal with our own. I mean, not to deal with our own struggles and temptations with sin and not to have to deal with anyone else's. You know, 1 John 3 talks about how we're going to see Him and be like Him. Oh, ever, everlasting life. To forever be with the Lord. This is everlasting life. If you trust in Jesus Christ, believe in Him, you have everlasting life. What a gift that God extends and gives to us and that, li- that life is never going to end. That in and of itself almost seems impossible to comprehend. Everything in this life has an end. <laughs> That's how we think. There's, there's going to be an end. There's going to be an end. And there's going to be an end. To be with Christ forever. Everlasting life. To put that into perspective causes us to want to live for eternity. This life doesn't even fit on the screen. It's not even a little blip on the radar. It can't even be compared. When the Bible says that our life is a, a vapor, it's truly a vapor. When you go out in the wintertime cold and you breathe and whew, there's the vapor and it's gone, that's our life. So if you are the child of God and Christ is your Savior, this is the worst your life is ever going to get. This is it. Maybe you've had a, just a terrible week or you've had a terrible life. I, I truly am sorry about that. But guess what? This is the worst it's ever going to get. And you're going to forever be with the Lord. Everlasting life. And so some will be raised to everlasting life through their faith in Jesus Christ. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. So just as there's everlasting life, there's also everlasting contempt. Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. It seems that some want a kinder, softer theology that eliminates hell. And you can't do it if you're going to be a person of, of the scriptures. And let me just suggest this to you. If you take hell out of the Bible and out of your belief and out of your theology, then why would Jesus have to die upon the cross? What is the point of that? If hell doesn't exist, if there isn't punishment for our sin, then why did Jesus Christ have to come and die? There's no point in it. For God to be holy and for Him to be just, for Him to be right, He has to punish sin. Do you want a God that's not just? Do you want a God that doesn't punish sin? If some horrific thing happens to us, we take great comfort in that there's a holy God that's going to deal with that. But if we do some horrific thing before a holy God, we want to be left off the hook. How can God be loving and punish me for sin? That's not a loving thing to do. And we've misunderstood the heart of God. You know, God doesn't come to us with this attitude that says, you know, you better believe or else. You better believe or I'm going to fry your face off. Like he gets some kind of joy, this this sick, perverted kind of joy out of sending someone to hell. He loves us enough to give us a free choice to choose what we're going to do. If we're going to believe in him or we're going to reject him, And He gives us His Son to die upon the cross for us so that we can have everlasting life. These are sobering words to think about. Everlasting life and everlasting content. I don't know what motivates me more. I don't know what compels me more. To think about someone being able to go to heaven, oh, that's compelling. 
to think about praying for someone, investing in them, sharing the gospel with them, and them having everlasting life, oh, that's exciting. That's motivating. But it's also motivating to think about someone being in everlasting contempt, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a worm that dies not, the lake of fire, outer darkness, all the words of Jesus Christ. That's compelling, isn't it? To say, oh, Lord, I want to love that person the way that you love them. I want to share your word with them. I want to be involved in your life. This isn't fairy tales. This is the truth of God's word. Everlasting life, everlasting contempt. It's with this understanding of eternity that these words resound. Those who are wise. That means there's those who are foolish. Isn't that the truth? Right? So what is wisdom? I think a lot of times we think it's knowledge. It's not just knowledge. In fact... It's knowledge applied. Big difference. That's wisdom. Wisdom is taking knowledge that you know, what you understand about eternity, and applying it. That's wisdom. I think of it, a lot of it, like my gas gauge. My gas gauge is giving me knowledge. But sometimes I don't operate in wisdom and I don't apply the knowledge that I know. The gas light's been on for some time. And I think I've just got a few more miles and a, and a few more miles and, and a few more miles. There's other times where I go, oh, I'm getting the information. It's computing. It's going to save me time to put gas in my car and if I don't run out of gas and all the time that it would take to get the gas can and that whole thing. So it's taking the knowledge that we know and we're applying it. So God's word's going to tell us these are those who are wise. Those who are wise shine like the brightness of the firmament And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God says you're wise if you shine. And you shine like a star. God wants us to shine in a way of consistency. You look up at the stars and they're so consistent that you can plot your course by it. For so many years, the sailors would sail according to the stars. There's not this guesswork if if the stars are going to shine. This indicates that our Christian life's not a fireworks show. God doesn't say, shine like a fireworks show. Be dazzling and get everybody's attention and woo, you know, you're something awesome and you're something cool. No, God wants consistency. He wants a consistent light. When people around us, they know what to expect. Oh, you know what? They love Jesus Christ. They live a life for Jesus Christ. It may not be super dazzling or super impressive. It's consistent. It's a marathon, not a sprint. God's not looking for three months of a glorious walk with the Lord. He's looking for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. However much time He gives us on this earth where there's consistency. Shine like the stars of the heavens. And as you shine, you turn many to righteousness. Proverbs 11.30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, And he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Ultimately, God's the one who does the work, brings someone to salvation. But we're wise if we have a heart for lost souls and desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ. A verse in the Bible we're well familiar with, Matthew 28, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a part of our Christian life that is go. 
get out there amongst unbelievers, people that don't know Christ as their Savior, and make a disciple. So let's talk about some practicals. We want to shine. I think that that's our heart. I really do. We want to shine. Many of you are shining the love of Jesus Christ. This church is what it is because you're living for Jesus Christ and you shine the love of God. It is such a joy to pastor this church. Your love for Jesus Christ is contagious. Your heart for his words addicting. You love Jesus Christ. So it's not that this isn't happening in our fellowship and in our lives. But let's talk about the how. We've just talked about the why. Why are we to shine? Because eternity is real. And people are either going to heaven or they're going to hell. That's the why. That's the why we want to shine. But then how? How do we shine? In Matthew 5, verse 16, it says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People would see your good works and they would glorify who? Glorify God. And that's tricky in and of itself because sometimes we can do good works where we're kind of polishing the trophy. You know what I'm saying? We're like, hey, look at me, you know? Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a Christian. Yep. I'm, I'm one of the better, quite honestly. Yeah. In this same sermon, Jesus said, you know, do things in a way where your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Do it in private so that your Father will reward you openly. Do it before God, not before men. And, and that's the lesson there. But it is important that our lives and our actions should be different than someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. To do good works, to be salt and light, so that God is glorified. Many times people are hungry for the gospel and hungry for Jesus Christ because they see in our actions that our life is different. What does salt do? Makes you thirsty, right? Provokes a thirst. So when people come involved with our lives, with our actions, they go, oh, there's something different about you. I want to know about Jesus Christ. So that's part of the how, is to have a life of good works. But let's go a little deeper. Because we probably knew that before coming in here tonight, didn't we? Oh, Lord, I want to have good works. I want my life to be different. I want to be the witness of Jesus Christ. But I just keep trying, and I keep failing, and I keep trying, and I keep failing. Let's talk about the life of the disciples, and we see a progression of them becoming a strong light of God's love. Where did it begin? It started with belief. It started with faith. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's where it began. Then that turned to following. So belief and then following. And Jesus says some tough things at this point. He says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and daily follow me. We believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior, but then we choose to follow him. We want to be this wise person that shines, that makes a difference for eternity. Then we pick up our cross. I don't feel like doing this. There doesn't seem to be any reward in it. But I'm following Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. I'm coming underneath His leadership. So they believed, then they followed. But a key one that we miss is they were filled. They were filled. You look at the book of John. Jesus dies from the cross. He rises again surprises them, scares the pants off of them, right? They're like, they don't know where Jesus is, and they're locked in a room, and like, oh man, our world's over, and Jesus like, boo, comes through the walls, doesn't even use the door. Peace be unto you, you know? Because they're freaked out, you know? What does the Bible say? He breathed on them, and the Holy Spirit came in them. This is a new relationship. 
of the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, His resurrection, that the Spirit of God could live inside of us, becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. The moment you received Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God came inside of you. Jesus says, hey, I want you guys to go and pray. Just wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And He's going to come upon you in such a way that you shall be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1. That is a supernatural work of God that God can take sinners who are fallen and they can be a witness of Jesus. Now, it doesn't say you shall go witnessing. There's nothing wrong with that. We should go witnessing. But what does God say? You shall be my witness so that when people look at your life, they can see me. Is Jesus talking to the same guys that were always blowing it? I mean, is he talking to Peter that's got athlete's foot in his mouth? Is he talking to James and John who are always arguing over he could be first and second? Is he talking to doubting Thomas? Who's like, you know, if I believe it, then I'll see it. If I don't see it, then I'm not going to believe it. Yeah. These are those guys. Jesus says, you know what? Just go and pray. Go wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So you shall receive power to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost of the earth. God is going to use these guys to... influence and impact the whole entire world. What does he say? Go pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They're praying, and what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured upon them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's referred to as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means immersed in the Holy Spirit. This is my point. We will not shine like a bright star without the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to the Lord on a daily, moment-to-moment basis and say, God, I can't live this Christian life apart from you. You've given me the power of your Holy Spirit, so now help me to live in that power and watch God work. See, the book of Acts isn't a bunch of Christians pulling themselves up by their bootstraps like, I've got to win the world for Jesus. We're going to have a strategy meeting and we're going to get everybody saved. No. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. They're in love with Jesus Christ. They're powered by the Holy Spirit. God's using them in a powerful way. Then there's the last component. They believed, they followed, they were filled, and they got poured out. They got poured out a whole lot. They got poured out even to the point of death. They just kept getting poured out. They just kept getting poured out. God kept filling them, and they kept getting poured out. God wants to use your life. He wants you to shine. But let's do it in His power. Let's do it in His might. Let's go to Him in prayer. Let's wait. Say, God, I'm not even going to go over and talk to my neighbor until I know that I have your power. Until I know that I have your wisdom. So, Lord, here I am, and I'm waiting upon you in prayer. But the key thing is, is don't stop there. The point does come when you get up off your knees and you go over and you share. Shine like the stars of the heaven. Those who are wise, shine. So let's go just a little bit further, a little bit deeper. Let's take it to a personal level. Am I wise or am I foolish? What am I really living for? Because the scripture says you're wise if you shine, turning people to righteousness. So if I'm living for anything else, I'm falling short of wisdom. 
wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to lay our lives down and like Paul saying, I have finished the race. I've done what the Lord's asked me to do. I walked in the good works that he had before me. God wants to use your life. He wants you to, to shine. He wants to give you a burden for souls and a burden for hearts. Well, let's go on into verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. This book is to be sealed until the time of the end. Daniel's not going to fully understand it. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Do you know that there was a time in not too distant history that some believed your heart would explode if we went 30 miles an hour? Your heart would burst. The idea of going 30 miles an hour was just astronomical to previous generations. And in, I don't know, the last 150 years, so much has happened in this realm of transportation to previous generations who are reading the book of Daniel. They're like, to and fro? Like, I've lived my whole life in a 10-mile radius. You know, that's as far as I've ever gone. Now we travel at the blink of an eye, don't we? Can hop on a plane in Denver and be in Europe in the morning, no problem. Bouncing back and forth all different parts of the world, driving, flying. It's no problem. And this was prophesied that this would take place. This is an indicator that we're moving towards the end, going to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I think that we've seen a huge quantum leap in this just in the last 15 years, just in the last 20 years. This dates me a little bit, but the Internet was just coming out when I was in high school, you know? Computers were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. They were super duper expensive. This whole idea of the internet was just like, ah, you know, we used to look things up in dictionaries and encyclopedias. <laughs> and I learned how to type on a typewriter. You know, that's, a, that's what I learned to type on. Well, that day's gone. And what do we have? We have access now to more information than anyone in any other generation. I know that there's people on their phones and their iPads and stuff checking out what I'm saying right during the message, you know? What does Wikipedia got to say about Daniel's 70 weeks? <laughs> and they're scrolling it all out and checking it out, and it's, it's all right at the tip of the finger. In a lot of ways, it takes the fun out of life, because I wonder what the weather's going to do. Well, let me tell you. All of a sudden, here's the five-day forecast. You got any question or you wonder about anything? Just let me Google that. Bam! But what's come from it? Knowledge has increased. We have access to to more information. Some good, some bad. Wonderful Bible studies and Bible materials that are available now uh, through the internet. And there are some blessings and obviously some things that aren't so good. But we see these things being fulfilled before our very eyes. In verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked... And there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. This takes us back to chapter 10, verse 4, where Daniel, with the same vision, says that he's on the Tigris. The same river is referred to here. Introduced to two that stood, one on this riverbank and the other on the other side of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? So all these visions and prophecies that we're reading in the book of Daniel, specifically this vision that's laid out, when is it going to happen? 
And verse 7, Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, so swearing by God, that it shall be done for a time, times, and half a time. So it's thought that a time is one year, times refers to two years, a half a time refers to six months, so three and a half years, and when the power of the holy people has been completely scattered, all these things shall be finished. And again, we cross-reference this to the time of trouble that's referred to in Revelation, that's referred to in this vision, going back to verse 1. In Revelation 13, we see that the Antichrist having opportunity that God gives for a short period of time to rule and to reign. And also in Revelations 11 and Revelation 12, it refers to a three and a half year period. So it appears that during this time of trouble, tribulation, a seven year period, that three and a half years into it, the Antichrist is going to be able to come in and desecrate the temple, the abomination of desolation. Then it's going to be three and a half years and all of these things will be fulfilled. In verse 8, although I heard, I didn't understand. <laughs> Praise the Lord for Daniel. At times I felt like that going through the second half of, of this. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Daniel, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You want to contrast this with the end of Revelation, where John is told to not seal up Revelation. Different from what Daniel received in Revelation, the the book of Revelation gives us much insight into the book of Daniel. Could you think about how hard it would be to understand the book of Daniel if you didn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given by the Holy Spirit to John the disciple. What's taught in verse 10 is purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. The wise understand and the wicked continue in wickedness. So there's always going to be those who don't respond to the message of God that will continue in wickedness. We have this reference of the abomination of desolation, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. The abomination when the Antichrist comes and desecrates the temple, then till the time of the end, it's 1,290 days. This is a 30-day extension. Three and a half years is 1,260 days. Why is there a 90-day extension? This is profound. I have no idea. (laughs) There's some things that I put in a file of waiting for more information, and that's one of them. But there is a a, a 30-day extension, and then there's a 45-day extension in verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So that's a a 45-day extension from verse 11, but there's a blessing for those to wait for that 45th day. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And that concludes the the book of Daniel. And my encouragement to all of us is this, is how is our lives going to change through the study of God's word? 
And I would ask you tonight, before you go to sleep, because what happens if we put it on the task list, to the to-do list, a lot of times it just goes into oblivion. But if we can make a point before we go to bed, make a note, write it down somewhere, put it in a journal, on the fridge, one thing that God really taught you through the, the book of Daniel. You've been coming on Wednesday nights and studying it. It Was it prayer? Was it the Word? Was it integrity? Was it... His sovereignty that He rules and reigns over the affairs of men and you have more confidence in the things of God? Is it tonight in this last chapter about, you know, I want to be wise. I want to shine like the stars of heaven. And God, that's the verse that you really put on my heart. So please help me to live that out through the the power of the Holy Spirit and to take that nugget and say, okay, Lord, now please help me to live it out and apply it. Then we're headed into a fabulous section of Scripture. Now, how many of you have heard a a verse-by-verse study through Hosea? You don't have to raise your hand, but please read ahead. It's fascinating. We're going to have a blast continuing to study through the rest of the Old Testament. We're going to hit some wonderful books that are very rarely studied. So we're looking forward to that. And then would you do this? Would you do this? Would we commit to praying for lost souls? Commit to it. That's where the burden begins, and that's where... The fruit is, is praying for lost souls. Say, okay, Lord, put those on my heart that you want me interceding for and you want me praying for. I'm so thankful that I had a mom who relentlessly prayed for me because I was a hard heart. (laughs) And God's kindness went out. And the Lord answered my mom's prayers. Maybe you've been praying. You've been praying for many, many years. Keep praying. And may God just expand and expand our heart for the lost and then take a step of faith. Love somebody. Share the gospel with them. In sharing the gospel with someone, it's a win-win situation. Do it in love. Do it in compassion. What's the gospel? That Jesus died for their sins and rose again according to the scriptures to repent and be saved. If they reject it, it's still a win situation because they heard the gospel. If they accept it, they come to know Christ as their Savior. This whole idea that you have to be on staff at a church to be in ministry. You know, a lot of times people talk with me and say, oh, I just want to be in full-time ministry. I look at them, I go, you are. You are in full-time ministry. Do you know that you're the ones that are really doing the work? You're the ones that are getting to interact with people that don't know Christ as their Savior. You're God's ambassador. You're God's missionary in the place that you live, in the place that you work, and God wants to use you. And if there's any testimony that we get from Scripture, is God used fallen people that were surrendered to Him. God didn't present people in Scripture that we can't relate to. He gives us a bunch of knuckleheads, Genesis to Revelation. Because these are a bunch of people that love me, that serve me, and look how I used them for my glory. He wants to use the weak and the foolish. We qualify. <laughs> That's all. He just says, I want weak and foolish that are available to me. Find the nugget in Daniel, pray for lost souls, and allow the Lord to use your life. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time in, in the book of Daniel. It amazes me over the years to, to see that where we're at in your word is where we're at. And how we read in your word that you're the one that's in charge of the nations. You're the one that's in charge of this world. 
you predicted the rise and fall of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and you've laid out how things are going to go even to the end of time. We trust you. We don't always understand what's going on, but we trust you. And what a great conclusion to the book of Daniel, that if we're wise, if we look past the kingdoms of men, that we look to eternity. In a way that only you can do, Father, would you place eternity on our hearts. We do intercede for those that don't know Christ as our Savior. We lift up our children to you, and God, would you be gracious to move in their lives. Those young kids that are memorizing Scripture, would you plant those truths deep in their hearts. May they know more than verses, Lord, but may it take them into a deep and thriving relationship with you. May they be born again. May they know you as their Savior. We lift up grandchildren. We ask that you would bring those to you. Those that have grandchildren, God, we ask by your grace that you would save them. We pray for brothers and sisters and moms and dads and co-workers, those in Mexico and Morocco and Uganda. We know your desire is to save. So Lord, would you move in our hearts to burden us for lost souls. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that don't know Christ as our Savior, we we talked about heaven and hell tonight. It is a sobering truth, but God truly desires for you to be saved. I remember the day that Christ revealed his love to me, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. If you've never come to that place of believing in your heart that God exists, that he's real, that he sent his son to die for your sins and rise again, he paid the price for your sins, but you have to receive that gift through faith. If you've never made that decision and you desire to, as we head into this time of communion, please come down. There'll be those available to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you and pray for you. The communion table is open for you to spend time in fellowship with the Lord tonight. May God bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May he use you in an incredible way for his glory and his purposes. Let's just continue in worship.